Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. In today's episode, we will discuss chronic portal vein thrombosis in patients without cirrhosis. I am Pierre Manel-Rotou, Professor of Hepatology in Beaujon, Clichy, France. Uh, chronic portal vein thrombosis is really a hot topic currently with new data on causes and on management. And to discuss that topic today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Aurélie Plessier, Clichy, France, Hôpital Beaujon, who is the head of the French Network for Vascular Liver Disorders, and also to welcome Juan Carlos Garcia Pagan from Hospital Clinic in Spain, Juan Carlos funding the Valdic Network, a network dedicated to vascular liver disorders, and also was chair of the last guidelines on vascular liver disorders published by ESA. Before starting the discussion, I would like some clarification about the terms. Juan Carlos? Could you please define for our audience what is chronic portal vein thrombosis? Is that the same as cavanoma? Well, thank you for this question. I think that is very interesting. Actually, for us, we consider portal cavernoma when there is a huge number of collaterals, uh, usually in the ileum, and that it's difficult to identify the portal vein. And indeed, Portal cavernoma for us is a type of chronic portal vein thrombosis, but there are other patients with chronic portal vein thrombosis that you there are not so many collaterals in the ileum, and you sometimes can even identify still the portal vein. Uh, 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 that's for us the main difference. Okay, so you mean that the patient who is recent portal vein thrombosis, after six months, you consider this as a chronic portal vein thrombosis? Is that what you mean, Juan Carlos? Well, uh, theoretically, yes, but in some cases, I would not yet consider that, especially if you are treating this patient with anticoagulation, maybe, because maybe if, if still you can identify the thrombus inside the portal vein, mm -hmm. you may still think that there are some possibilities of recanalization. We okay. know that after six months, it's very, very difficult, but we have mm -hmm. seen some patients that still there is some recanalization after six months. But okay. probably it's very unlikely to get recanalization. And this patient, it's very highly that will be finally considered chronic portal vein thrombosis. Six months is the timing usually that we use, but okay. in some cases, probably it's not always, the, this threshold mm. is not always perfect. Okay, so chronic portal vein thrombosis, threshold around six months with maybe some patient recognizing as after and portal cavernoma. So when we uh, find a patient with chronic portal vein thrombosis or follow uh, such patient, of course, causes or risk factors at least are a key thing. And we know that there is a very strong link between myeloproliferative neoplasms and portal vein thrombosis. And uh, we are used to searching for JAK2 mutation and uh, maybe calorie mutation, but uh, there are new approaches and particularly your group, Juan Carlos uh, published a paper on next generation sequencing uh, in the Journal of Hepatology. Could you please uh, tell us 
how to to do that um, how, what information we can get from this ngs approach well the advantage of doing ngs is that you with the same molecular technology you are able to identify all the mutations at the same time jack mm -hmm. to calreticoline and and in our experience that we have begun to use it more and more frequently, we have, for example, identified some driver mutations of myeloproliferative neoplasm that we have never identified before, such as MPL, or okay. very rarely we identified exon 12, JAK12 mutation, that in using the usual techniques, probably because of the, uh, the, the, the sensitivity of the techniques, we were not mm -hmm. able to identify them. And but you then, mean that you are doing that in all your patients now? Uh, NGS mutation from a portal vein thrombosis equals NGS? Uh, I would say that uh, almost always we are including this almost in our practice in routine uh -huh. practice, and in addition, because well, uh, as you know, we have also identified some other clonal mutation hematopoietic, the what is called chips, other mutation that the the, the potential role that they play in portal vein thrombosis is not well, very well known, but it looks like they may also give a prognostic information regarding the probability of thrombosis in these patients. Okay. But, uh, uh, and probably some other future information, and we are doing it in almost all our patients. Okay, so, okay, you, you do it for diagnosis purposes, and also maybe to predict or at least to get information about the liver outcome. Aurélie, uh, in Beaujon, are you doing that so frequently? And do you get information on what diagnosis, prognosis, the liver, the blood disorder? Uh, what is your um, approach on that? Yes, thank you for this question, Pierre-Emmanuel. Um, currently, we use NGS in two situations, exactly like Juan Carlos said when you want to identify patients who have not clear uh, high-risk prothrombotic risk factors. Mm -hmm. And as uh, it has been shown in Juan Carlos' paper, uh, some patients with uh, new mutations may, uh, on the NGS, may be at higher risk of rethrombosis in case of interruption of anticoagulation. So this is the first situation patients for whom we have not identified a high prothrombotic risk factor. The okay. second situation, on the other hand... So you mean JAK2 negative, yeah. no uh, antiphospholipid syndrome, therefore in that setting yeah. you go for NGS. Yes, okay. exactly. The second situation, on the contrary, uh -huh. is uh, patients who have a myeloperative neoplasm, okay. and you want to know the prognosis of this of this neo uh, myeloperative neoplasm because it has been shown by uh -huh. uh, a team in San Louis Hospital um, by, Paris. Uh, in Paris uh, uh, by Kilajan's team that uh -huh. um, uh, patients who have. Uh, high JAK2 mutation allele burden, uh -huh. or who have additional mutations such as uh, one who is PT53, uh, are at higher risk of transformation of their myeloperative disease okay. or of death. They have okay. no exactly. Yeah. Okay. So in fact, you are doing the same as in Barcelona. Ronka said he does that in all the patients. You do that 
in a patient without uh, MPN for uh, diagnosis and prognosis purposes, but also in patient with MPN for prognosis of the uh, hematological uh, disorder. So at least I have the impression that the, the practice is quite close uh, in Barcelona yeah. and Paris. Yes. Okay, um, that's uh, very interesting. There are many uh, data and we, we have to discuss, of course, the recent paper you published already in uh, the New England Journal of Medicine evidence uh, two, three weeks ago. Uh, this is the, the results of the report study, if I am uh, correct, this is a randomized control trial in patients with uh, chronic portal vein thrombosis, uh, testing rivaroxaban. Could you, could you please um, tell us what you did and what are your conclusions in this uh, report study? Yes, of course, thank you. Yes, we are, we are quite proud because it's the first randomized study in portal vein in non-serotic portal vein thrombosis. And I think this is a, a quite a challenging uh, uh, point. And in fact, uh, we randomized patients either for rivaroxaban 15 milligrams or a day or for no anticoagulation. Mm -hmm. We could not have a placebo group uh, because of financing um, uh, difficulties, uh, but uh, we had a, a scientific committee who assessed, uh, well, the, 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 the end point was the occurrence of a new thrombosis, okay, either, either in, in the splenic territory okay. or in another, or a pulmonary embolism, any, 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 venous, any other venous uh, thrombosis. Okay, so you had an objective a yeah. measurement which was assessed by an independent committee, correct? Absolutely. Okay. It, this is the case, uh, and the objective was rethrombosis or death, and uh, this, mm -hmm. this yeah. was assessed by this independent committee. Um, we uh, included only patients with low risk factors or no identified risk factor for potential. Okay, so no myeloprofitin nucleosin. We are talking about MPN patients. They were not included in the study. Exactly. MPN okay. patients, antiphospholipid patients, basic mm -hmm. disease, all the high risk okay. factors were excluded. And also what's important, we excluded patients who had a past history of uh, venous thrombosis, apart from, uh, of course, right. uh, the, the, the occurrence. Uh, so finally... Um, so many we, patients did you include in the study? So uh, finally, 110 patients were included uh -huh. because we interrupted uh, the study because of mm -hmm. the positive effect, in fact, okay. of rivaroxaban uh, versus no anticoagulation because we were very surprised. Uh, that we had a 19.5% uh, rate of rethrombosis in the absence of anticoagulation okay. compared to 0% rethrombosis in the rivaroxaban group. Okay, so and a very positive effect of the rivaroxaban yeah. as compared to the no treatment yeah, group. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay, so, um, so the, the trial was positive. Did you, uh, so Ron Carlos, now, are you treating the patients uh, in Barcelona with chronic portal vein thrombosis with rivaroxaban 15 milligram if they have no myeloprotein neoplasm? All the patients now? Are you convinced? Uh, uh, well, I'm sorry to say that not yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I have some concerns uh, about the, I think that this study probably, I, I, I understand that it's difficult to be reproduced, but there are some, uh, for me, some points that probably needs to be taken into consideration. For example, the high rate of retrombosis 
that was found in the placebo group, for me, it's tremendously high. And for example, according with the sample size estimation of the study, uh, and I am more close to this uh, incident, in the paper said that they uh, assume a 3.5% incidence of thrombosis in the placebo group, but indeed it was almost 20. And this 3.5% is more close to the two studies that we have done following these patients, observational, that is more close to actually much, much less than 10% thrombosis rate at one year. Mm -hmm. uh, and this for me makes a little bit of, of conflict about the possibility to, 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 so what, to some extent there was some kind of bias selecting, I don't understand how, but a higher risk uh, population uh, that, that, that has a risk of thrombosis. And in addition, if we still consider this 20% retrombosis rate, there was 80% of patients that do not retrombose. We are in Barcelona, we are trying still to find uh, a way to further identify maybe the dimmer, as it was suggested in this paper, maybe factor A, maybe some unrecognized, unrecognized uh, mo molecular uh, drivers, such as the ones that are detected NGS, that can identify better the population at risk. And this is the one that we think or that we are. Uh, uh, thinking about to anticoagulate, but not all of them. Not okay, but I think that already you're not, in fact, so far from this approach, if I read correctly the paper. Uh, in fact, you consider also stratifying the patients according to the risk of uh, risk thrombosis. Could you tell us a little bit more? Because uh, Juan Canas alluded to the D-dimer. Uh, you've got some data in your paper about that. Yes. Uh, how do you handle the D-dimer? Yes, the risk of thrombosis. I will answer, but I would just like to answer also to Juan Carlos course, uh, on uh, one of his points. Uh, we were also surprised of the high rate of thrombosis, and uh, I looked at your NGS paper, and in fact, in your NGS paper, the, the rate of thrombosis, of course, on a much longer period, is 25%. So I think it's not, and, and we all know that thrombosis occurs very uh, more, much more rapidly after interruption of intercoagulation than in the late uh, phases. And in fact, in the report study, we have had most of the thrombosis except for two that occurred in the first three months. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't think we are not, we, are, we have so different results on Carlos, but this is the first point. And the second point is that, um, yes, absolutely. We found that dedimer, which is not perfect, just like in deep vein thrombosis, dedimer, when you in, stop anticoagulation in the vein thrombosis and you assess the dimer, it has been shown that it's a, quite a good predictive factor for recurrent thrombosis, especially uh, with, of course, uh, interfering factors such as gender, such, such as age, such as other uh, factors will interfere. Yeah, but so is that paper, a good negative predictive value, meaning that you, if they are low, below 500, there, the risk of thrombosis is, is low. Is that correct, Aurélie? Yes, it's totally correct. In fact, in the, in the study, uh, in patients uh, who had a recurrent thrombosis, uh, six out of 10 patients had a positive dedimer compared mm -hmm. to 10 to 46 in the absence of, uh, of uh, re thrombosis. So, 
It's a tool. It's not perfect, but it's yeah. a tool, and I think we could use it, especially in in patients. Uh, the 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 other result that is important is that patients who had a provoked portal vein thrombosis, okay. which means uh, lo a local cause that okay. has been treated, or a estrogen-containing uh, estro pill. You mean uh, an infection within the, the abdomen, for instance? Uh, for example, an infection uh -huh. within the abdomen, or introduction of a recent estrogen pill, mm -hmm. or th these are provoked... Uh, uh, like in deep vein thrombosis, again, uh -huh. the, the, the risk to, we, we didn't find any recurrence in these patients. Okay. So probably in these patients, we could have a possibility to stop uh, anticoagulation using NGS, as uh, Juan mm -hmm. Carlos has uh, shown us, and the DIMER, and possibly other. Uh, yeah, Juan Carlos, so you mentioned uh, factor eight. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. That actually, in in our observational study, mm -hmm. in the one published with with Anna, yes. Rajas, that was the, the multicenter study, we the, the only factor that correlated with the risk of retrombosis mm -hmm. was factor eight. Okay. And the factor eight above one hundred fifty, we checked the dimmer in this, and there was a mm -hmm. trend that in our cohort. Uh, the dimmer actually was not as powerful that uh, that that, um, that factor A, okay. and the the fact about just a comment about the negative predictive value. Yes. When the, the, when you have a, a negative uh, pretest so high as the one that you have eighty percent of patients that do not develop portal vein retrombosis or splenic or extra splenic, then uh, this influence a lot the, 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 the value of a negative test because the, the pre-negative test is very high because in your population, the possibility to have thrombosis is very low, mm -hmm. only 20%. It was, in, in my view, very high. 20% at one year is much, much higher than 20% after 10 years. That is a very different population. And then I think that for the moment, we need to work a little bit more yeah. on that. This is our, yeah, we need to look for more factors, probably maybe the combination of these chips that we found in NGS, maybe the DMET, maybe factor A together to select the population that are really a very high risk because sometimes we are taking the decision for long-term anticoagulation in a 40-year-old man or woman, hmm that if you consider anticoagulate, it's for life. Yeah. And we know that the risk of complications accumulates over the years. Yeah. And I think that the decision to anticoagulate a 40-year, 30-year-old mm. man or woman... By the way, Oli, you didn't mention the bleeding episodes in your study. Uh, what was it? How, how high was it? Did you have uh, some uh, very significant bleeding? Uh, could you tell us a little bit? Well, in fact, we had three uh, severe bleedings, uh, uh -huh. two in the DOAX group and one in the non-anticoagulated non group. Uh -huh. So it was, uh, of similar. course, it was similar, but of mm. course, uh, we would like to have more, uh, yeah. more patients. And, okay. uh, but we didn't, well, we, we had the feeling that we, it was safe. Okay. Using so we, I think that there is a, a lot to discuss uh, and to do yeah. again, but uh, apparently a consensus on the fact that when there is a high risk for thrombosis, then anticoagulation should be given on the long term. When there is not such a 
uh, high risk of um, uh, thrombosis, then there is some place for anticoagulation because some patients uh, develop pre-thrombosis. Rivaroxaban uh, is a possibility uh, and likely uh, identifying even better the paper, this patient population at high risk is still a challenge and uh, maybe the dimer, maybe factor eight, maybe NGS, so we've got some work to do still. So, but now I would like to, in the last minute, to discuss uh, the challenging cases. You know, we, we, we have some patients in whom it is difficult. Uh, they develop uh, portal cholangiopathy, they, they develop thrombosis despite anticoagulation, or uh, some patients also have uh, severe bleeding despite endoscopic management. And we have now data on portal vein recanalization. And I would like to have your, uh, your view uh, first, uh, Aurélie, on this uh, indication. When are you considering in patients with uh, chronic portal vein thrombosis, portal cavernoma, this radiological approach, uh, portal vein recanalization? Yes. And are you considering? <laughs> yes, thank you. First, uh, the indication has to be quite clear. The indication has to be uh, for for the moment, because there are complications, of course, of radiological intervention. What kind, uh, what kind of complications? Mainly bleeding complications uh -huh. and uh, then um, occlusion of the stents uh, okay. afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, uh, sorry. Uh, so the indication is uh, when uh, the... the Current treatments available, endoscopy, uh -huh. anticoagulation, okay. have not been sufficient to treat the complications. And control uh, symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, for example, refractory bleeding from yes. portal hypertension, um, severe portal cholangiopathy uh, with uh, pruritus or cholangitis. Okay, so portal cholangiopathy, but with symptoms, not only with, blood exactly. test abnormalities, no, symptoms. Not, mm -hmm. Do not treat images or blood okay. test abnormalities. I think it's not uh, currently uh, an indication. Uh -huh. And then uh, it's the feasibility. When is it feasible? Uh, what has been shown, especially by uh, the team from uh, Lausanne, uh, is uh, with Allemand the uh, Allemand team with the paper from Artru, is that um, uh, patients who have a complete obstruction of uh, the portal vein, uh, segmental portal vein branches and portal vein trunk, uh, then there are not good uh, candidates. Okay, so you need a patent portal vein within the liver to, um, to yeah, do this procedure. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Okay. Uh, the other uh, point, which was uh, not a very good uh, for recanalization, were patients who had uh, chronic abdominal pain. Okay. It seems that it's not a very good indication uh, uh -huh. to recanalize without tips. Okay, so according to you, the patient has to have symptoms, only yeah. control with what yeah. we have uh, yeah. besides, and to have Pattern portal veins within uh, the liver. So, Juan yeah. Carlos, what do you think? Are you doing this procedure too? Do you have the same view on the indication and the, the approach? Are you doing the transhepatic, transplenic? What yeah. is your uh, approach on that? Well, we, this, I, I completely agree with Aurelie. We are only treating, at least for the moment, those patients with severe complications that are not responsible to the conventional standard of care. But 
we are not considering in this patient if there are not intrahepatic portal vein branches as a complete contraindication huh? because uh, I, I think that there is a learning curve for sure and we are still in this learning curve mm -hmm. and I think that probably the 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 feasibility will probably increase in the in the next years. I think that with the transesplenic approach that we use very frequently, we use actually our radiologists do it. If you are able to get and to arrive to the within the liver in these patients, mm -hmm. we need to end up with a tips. But we can make the outflow doing a tips. And, so you do tips? You do, you do tips on pump of recognition systematically? No, 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 no. If there are not intrahepatic portal vein branches. Okay, okay. Yeah, so in this but, specific case, to okay. assure the outflow. If mm -hmm. there are intrahepatic portal vein branches and after recanalization, we confirm that this is a very good intrahepatic portal blood flow. We never end with a TIPS. But okay. in the case you mentioned, we need to end up with a TIPS because there are no, or most of the intrahepatic portal vein branches are thrombosed and then you never get a good outflow. And mm. then although you recanalize, it will uh, thrombose again, for sure, okay. despite so we, uh, coagulation. Okay, so we go back to the point mentioned by Aureli that uh, complications are bleeding, but also risk thrombosis of the, of, of the stent if we do not have a, a proper flow. I saw in the R-Troop paper you were mentioning, uh, Aureli, that also there was if there is no tips, a positive effect on uh, sarcopenia, which, which in Absolutely. my view is uh, yeah, something uh, yes, and, okay, uh, that, and, yeah, and also, of course, tips uh, complication is an, it's chronic encephalopathy in a 40 years old patient. As Juan Carlos said, it might be difficult. So, also okay, so this is uh, very encouraging. We see that in this uh, setting of uh, chronic portal vein thrombosis are many uh, changes on causes, on management, or on intervention management. But uh, I think we have to, to close this session. I would like to thank you a, a lot, Aurélie and Juan Carlos, for uh, this, like, this discussion. Thank you.